Just kidding. Whew. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Undead Airlock, your favorite weekly podcast dedicated to your spooky education and edification. As always, I am your host, Hannah Selector, and I am super delighted that you're here and super sorry about the time gap between these episodes lately. What is a schedule, anyway? Future Hannah here. A schedule is a plan for carrying out a process or procedure giving lists of intended events and times. You lazy piece of crap. Get your act together. <clears throat> anyway, back to lazy pants. I mean, come on. Holy hell. What the ever-loving fuck, sorry mom, have I been doing with my life lately? The first part of this year has been an absolute mess. Between the holidays and then, um, I went up to Michigan last weekend for a funeral my grandpa passed away the first week of February. Uh, it was a really great service. It was lovely, you know, but a terrible occasion. We miss him a lot. It was nice to see my family for a little while, but I'm really going to miss my grandpa. He was an awesome guy. Um, on a slightly more cheerful note, last weekend I had a chance to go to Mad Monster Party 2018 with Jason. It was a lot of fun. We did some networking. I bought some things and some stuff, including some awesome books from Corpus Press, which is a local horror publisher here in Charlotte, North Carolina. How cool is that? I talked with Evans and James for a little bit. Uh, just found them on Twitter. They seem like super cool guys. Currently, they're accepting submissions for a Halloween anthology. If you're an author of short horror fiction and you have a story that relates to Halloween, then you can hop over to their website and check out the submission guidelines and maybe get into an anthology this year. Oh, and hey... Plugging an upcoming short horror collection is a great segue into the topic of today's show, Creepypasta, which is a particular form of short horror fiction that originated on ye old internet. So, what are Creepypasta? Creepypastas? I'm not, like, entirely sure of what the technical plural would be, but we're gonna go with Creepypasta being its own plural. So, what are Creepypasta? They are horror-related urban legends or images that have been copy and pasted around the web. They're usually brief, user-generated, paranormal stories used to scare readers on forums. Or at least that's how they began. They've sort of taken on a much grander life of their own in, in uh, the last couple of years. Creepypasta include gruesome tales of murder, suicide, otherworldly occurrences, ghosts, monsters, and nightmarish creations. For those of you not mired in internet culture and possibly 4chan, creepypasta is a portmanteau of the words creepy and copypasta, a word which was coined on the 4chan forums in 2006 to describe viral copy and pasted text. Kind of like a chain letter on a forum. Despite the cutesy terminology and some vague defining characteristics, for the most part the exact origins of creepypasta are unknown. That is to say that we can't exactly define the time when they began, nor is there an originating work for us to say was the very first creepypasta. And we're unlikely to find the pioneering authors of most of the early forum stories. Earlier creepypastas were usually written anonymously, and then reposted many, many times, making the history of the genre difficult to study. Jessica Roy, who is a writer for Time, argued that creepypasta emerged in the 1990s, when chain emails were reported on internet forums and Usenet groups. Future Hannah in the edits here. 
For those of you like me who are too young to remember Usenet, it was kind of like an online bulletin board where users read and posted messages to one or more categories known as newsgroups. Kind of like an older Reddit. And it's still around. So, like I said, chain emails saying if you don't send this to 10 people, then your life will end at such and such time on such and such date. Sort of an early precursor to the creepypasta of today. Now, there are some that argue that the Ted the Caver story was the earliest example of creepypasta. That story was posted on Angel Fire in 2001. It was written as a first-person perspective of a guy named Ted as he and his friends explored an increasingly frightening cave system. You can still find that story online if you'd like to read it today. These earlier creepypastas examples like Ted the Caver tended to be these sort of personal stories or urban legends that were meant to be more believable because it was unlikely that they were going to succeed in a chain of reposting if they weren't believable as true stories. In addition to places like Angel Fire, lots of early creepypasta was created on the export of 4chan, which is a place that focuses on paranormal stories. Now, as time went on, major creepypasta websites, websites dedicated to the posting and propagation of creepypasta, started to come around between 2000 and 2010. Creepypasta.com came about in 2008, and there's also the Creepypasta Wiki, and examples of ever-growing Creepypasta forums like Reddit No Sleep. Websites like these created a permanent archive of Creepypasta, which really kind of solidifies the genre because, of course, now we have an archive where we can look for and sort of track the progression of Creepypasta as it has evolved over time. So prolific has the trend of creepypasta become that multiple authors have began using the same characters in their own stories, resulting in a development of numerous works comprising the same sort of universe or um, adding onto a storyline. Probably one of the most recognizable examples of this would be Jeff the Killer, who has been featured in numerous creepypastas by what feels like thousands of authors. Unfortunately, the quality of these stories is questionable oftentimes at best. Now, as time has gone on, the definition of creepypasta has really grown to include almost any horror story written and primarily shared over the internet. Authorship has become more important. Lots of creepypastas are written by named authors that people recognize rather than some anonymous person posting on a forum. And in fact, lots of authors have used these sort of creepypasta forums as a jumping off point for their short horror fiction to take off. The spreading of creepypastas and the sort of viral nature of these short forum stories have actually allowed lots of authors to end up getting published in some capacity or another, or to crowdfund their books so that more readers can enjoy them. Some great examples of this sort of thing would be um, C.K. Walker's work, which I really, really love. I first read her stories on No Sleep and then ended up buying all of her books. And then there's also D.K. Auerbach, who wrote the Pen Pal series, which some of you may be familiar with, and which was also posted on Reddit No Sleep. He was able to crowdfund the um, publication and printing of his book. So nowadays, because of Creepypasta's popularity, we've got sort of this unique horror genre with all sorts of different subgenres included. And, you know, like all good horror, Creepypasta tends to reflect the cultural anxieties of our time. Why is this interesting in the context of, you know, internet forum stories? It's that because the internet, when considered as a population of people, resists being defined in a single way. It's a culture that's not reflected in any sort of homogenous way. It's really diverse. There's all sorts of people, all different age groups, different races and life experiences, all coming together in this sort of melting pot of information. 
And so, if like good horror fiction, creepypasta does reflect the anxiety of the culture that it represents, it will reflect that of the united population of the internet, creating unique narratives and a format and evolution all its own. So, what does the internet's innermost anxiety look like? Not surprisingly, the topics appear on the surface extremely diverse. Haunted woods, ghosts, murders, suicide, monsters, government conspiracies, typical horror fare. But at the heart of most of these work, you have the uniting theme of creepypasta, a theme that's illustrated in the very format and propagation of these stories. The frightening capacity of technology and the spreading of information to create horror in the lives of everyday people. Keeping in mind that kind of genre-defining theme, let's talk about some subgenres of creepypasta. Several earlier creepypastas, and some extremely notable creepypastas, are centered around video games. Some of you may be familiar with the Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask story. Future Hand is going to have to get me that title, but... Hey guys, it's me again. Just give her a second, she'll get it. This story was created by an internet user named Jadusable, or Alex Hall in real life. This story followed a college student named Matt who bought a copy of Majora's Mask at a garage sale and ended up finding out that the cartridge was haunted by the ghost of a dead kid named Ben who drowned. Oh, the story is called Ben Drowned. Screw you, future Hannah. I don't need you. Oh, you think not past me? We'll see about that. Unfortunately, Matt deletes Ben's save file and starts experiencing these kinds of glitches in the game and some dialogue boxes that pop up saying foreboding things like, you shouldn't have done that, or you've met with a terrible fate, haven't you? This is another story that you can go check out online and I won't spoil the ending for you. Another notable video game creepypasta is Lavender Town Syndrome. This is a sort of urban legend creepypasta that reported that shortly after the release of the Japanese version of Pokemon Red and Pokemon Green around 1996, there was this sort of spike in deaths among the children who were playing these games, age range like 10 to 15. Kids who were playing Pokemon Red and Green started to behave strangely and began committing suicide through methods such as hanging, jumping from great heights, or severe self-mutilation. Showing these disturbed kids the ones who survived their suicide attempts anyway. Either of the video games inserted into a Game Boy would cause them to scream in absolute terror. The legend connects the cause of these suicides to the background music that plays in the games when you're in the location Lavender Town. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Pokemon universe, Lavender Town is uh, the site of a place called Pokemon Tower, where there are Pokemon graves and there are said to be lots of ghost Pokemon that the player can encounter. As the story goes on, a theory alleges that children were susceptible to Lavender Town Syndrome because the theme music supposedly contained a note that adults couldn't hear. Now, as a sort of Inception kind of thing, urban legend within urban legend, people have speculated that this creepypasta was based on a supposed phenomenon where an episode of the Pokemon series caused hundreds of viewers to experience epileptic seizures. Unrelated but related, funny aside... Back in my teaching days, I used to play a sound that only teenagers could hear when my classes were getting out of hand. It was hilarious. Another video game creepypasta that listeners might have heard of is Sonic.exe. 
the story of a teenager named Tom who suffers a series of supernatural delusions after playing a haunted hack of Sonic the Hedgehog from 1991. The story goes on to detail the sort of gory and disturbing contact included on the hacked ROM. And finally, another video game creepypasta, Pets Cop. Now, this creepypasta was interesting in that it was a web series released on YouTube. This web series claims to be a Let's Play of a lost and unfinished PlayStation game from 1997 called Pets Cop. In the supposed game, a player is supposed to capture creatures known as pets by solving puzzles. Pretty standard video game, right? Wrong! As the Let's Play progresses, the player discovers after inputting a code found on a note attached to the game cartridge that he is able to enter a strange hidden section of the game. It's called the New Maker Plane. The puzzles continue, but the game takes a rather drastic tonal shift. The Pets Cop series began airing in March of 2017. It's not known whether what is shown in the Let's Play is an animation or an actual playable game, or why it was created in the first place. Patricia Hernandez of Kotaku wrote that if it is an internet story or a game, then I am in awe of how elaborate it is. Probably best for you to go check it out on YouTube and let me know what you think. In addition to these video game creepypastas, another popular subgenre is the sort of mythic figure monster or monstrous person creepypasta, where you have these iconic creatures or sort of cults of personality like the Slenderman or Jeff the Killer, often based on repressed information or sort of rumors passed around in obscure places on the web, creating well-known characters that have evolved a universe of scary stories around them. I would assume that almost all of you are familiar with the Slender Man, particularly for reasons we'll get into a little later in the episode. The Slender Man is this thin, humanoid monster with no facial features who wears a slick black suit and wanders around the woods, probably killing kids. The origin of the character is a 2009 Something Awful Photoshop competition. According to most stories about the Slender Man, he targets children, leading them into the woods and doing away with them. We also have Jeff the Killer. Jeff the Killer began as a story accompanied by an image of a character. The story says that a teenager named Jeff was going to a friend's birthday party with his younger brother when they were attacked by a group of bullies. Jeff defends himself and hurts the bullies badly, and after this incident, Jeff realized that he enjoys harming people. And the next night, he went insane, cut off parts of his face in the shape of a smile, as well as his eyelids, so that he would never sleep. I take no responsibility for how disjointed that sounds. I did not write this character. After all of this, he murders his parents and his brother, and whispered go to sleep while murdering them. Now Jeff is a serial killer who sneaks into houses at night and whispers go to sleep before murdering his victims. Jeff the Killer has probably been the most um, virally successful creepypasta. There's been a bunch of really odd nonsense, as the internet tends to do with just about anything. Um, there's Jeff the Killer fanfiction, where people are forming romantic relationships with this unhinged man who has cut off his eyelids and murdered his family and tells people to go to sleep. Who knows what's up with that? Jeff has also featured as the protagonist of several independent video games, YouTube series, and of course, lots and lots of creepypasta. Monsters, video games, all good fun, all potentially frightening. But let's get to the really fun stuff, and that's my favorite subgenre of creepypasta. Social media creepypasta. Twitter and forum and social media-based creepypastas that make their way around. 
a lot of my favorites have begun in Reddit No Sleep, stories like Pen Pal or Search and Rescue Woods or Mother Horse Eyes. These stories that are posted in first person on forums from the perspective of the person who is experiencing the frightening stories. These are super fun and kind of just, you know, they make you wonder at first, are they really there? Is it possible these frightening things are really happening or have really happened? For example, Pen Pal, which I know I mentioned earlier, is written from the perspective of a young man who keeps receiving mail from an unknown sender. Pictures, notes, other types of correspondences that have a profound effect on his life. Search and Rescue Woods is another great example, and it's definitely worth checking out on uh, No Sleep. I think the author has a website of their own. There had been some talk of turning the stories into um, a published cohesive work, but I don't think that's happened as of yet. Anyway, Search and Rescue Woods is a series of stories told from the purportedly first-person perspective of a search-and-rescue ranger in an unknown national park in the United States, and the various sorts of horrible missing persons cases and strange occurrences that they have witnessed throughout their career. This series is a lot of fun because, of course, we do hear frightening stories in real life about disappearances in national parks and the strange things that happen in the vast wilderness of our world that can't be explained. Continuing our exploration of forum and social media told creepypastas, we have a rather unique kind of new set of stories. Mother Horse Eyes is particularly notable in that it is this really sweeping, long collection of creepy snippets of a story that, when strung together, end up creating this whole narrative of paranormal occurrences talking about alternate universes and horrible, violent entrances into these universes by people um, in ours and from over there. It began when a user on Reddit, underscore nine mother nine horse nine eyes nine, began posting these little snippets in all sorts of forums on, in all sorts of reddits on reddit.com. Frightening, gory, violent little snippets, sometimes strange and sort of trippy, drug-induced haze kinds of rants that, when strung together, all created this larger narrative. This work in particular began to attract media attention following its publication beginning in April 2016 because people were so interested in tracking what was going on, seeing these strange posts on Reddit and how they linked together. Now you can read the cohesive narrative on the Reddit devoted to the story. I think it's being... I think it has plans for publication. In fact, the author has solicited feedback from readers to sort of address maybe some issues that people may have had with the story. So I hope to see this in print form someday. It was really fun to read. And Mother Horse Eyes has what I would call maybe what the best creepypastas tend to have is references to real life events that sort of make you wonder, ooh, could this have really happened? It takes a lot of historical events and contextualizes them into the story to blur the lines between reality and fiction, and that's really cool. Another forum-based creepypasta that does that is Candle Cove, which is a story written by Chris Straub, who I've mentioned a couple of times, I think, because I like his webcomic Brood Hollow. This was written in the format of an online thread where people would reminisce about this children's television series that they couldn't quite remember. It was supposed to have aired in the 1970s, and it was called Candle Cove. After the forum goers would share their memories of the series, things like creepy puppets, 
their nightmares that they used to have from watching the show. Things like the villain who was called the Skin Taker and an episode that had no dialogue, just screaming. One poster asked their mother about the series and is told that they just used to tune the TV to static and watch it for 30 minutes, that the show didn't really exist. You can read all about Candle Cove in more detail. It's widely available for reading online. Or you can watch it on sci-fi because Candle Cove became the first season of Channel Zero, a sci-fi horror series that began airing in October of 2016. Neat. So heading toward a conclusion here, whether you're reading creepypasta that's kind of like the uh, fourth season of Black Mirror come to life surrounding technology and how it affects our lives and how uh, it may be a window into something darker, or you're reading creepypasta that centers around the unknowability of the world around us, you're getting a window into this sort of emerging genre of horror that reflects the anxieties of those of us who are on the internet. Is it because we're not going outside as much? Is it because the people writing creepypastas are mired in the technological world? It will be interesting to see exactly what this genre will end up being, what the sort of traceable phenomenon of internet horror fiction and the tropes created therein will be in a couple of years. We can say for certain that one of the most defining features of creepypasta is that its relationship with social media and the rapid sharing of information often blur the lines between reality and fantasy. And sometimes the blurring of that line, the very thing that makes this a fun and engaging type of horror, has a horrific effect on real life. Creepypasta stories, unfortunately, have made it into mainstream news as true. And most unfortunately, some have also caused real deaths. And although this is fascinating, it's also extremely sad. Creepypasta relating to the Slenderman character is particularly notable because it came to public attention in 2014 after the infamous Slenderman stabbings. The Slenderman stabbings were a terrible event in which a 12-year-old girl from Wisconsin was stabbed by two of her friends who claimed they wanted to prove the Slenderman skeptics wrong, believed they were avatars of the fictitious Slenderman and that he demanded this sacrifice of their friend. After the murder attempt, some of the creepypasta website administrators made statements reminding readers of the line between fiction and reality. There's also another creepypasta that's made its way into the mainstream media was the Blue Whale Game. This was a supposedly an internet challenge that first surfaced in Russia in 2016. It was purported to be a social network phenomenon that claimed to exist in several countries. It was a series of challenges 50 of them, over a 50-day period that people were dared to complete in increasingly disturbing challenges, carving things into your arm, doing terrible things to other people, ending in the final challenge, which required the player to commit suicide. I've had trouble researching this to find out if there was ever any actual death caused by or related to this story, but I will keep digging. It's Edits Hannah again. Guess you do need me after all. Snopes says nope, there have been no direct links between the Blue Whale Challenge and documented suicides in young people. However, Data does suggest that troubled teenagers were more likely to search for the Blue Whale Challenge and to join Facebook and other social media groups advertising the Blue Whale Challenge. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental illness, depression, anxiety, or suicidal ideation, the International Association for Suicide Prevention has resources for people all over the world. You are not alone, you matter, and you belong here. And never let anything you read on the internet or elsewhere convince you otherwise. And now, back to the show. 
For all of these reasons and more, creepypasta is a bit of a polarizing term. Uh, for some writers, the use of the term conjures up the idea of a poorly written internet story. And, you know, I have to admit that I was one of those people who actually, at first, when first discovering creepypasta, really believed that to be true. There is a lot of bad creepypasta out there. Aside from the Jeff the Killer romances that people write, but as the genres progress, the standards have become higher. Love it or hate it, there's really no denying that creepypasta has driven up the popularity of short horror fiction. It's encouraged lots of new writers to share their work online, and it's an evolving term that can be applied pretty broadly. It unites video and audio and text in ways that can only be done on the internet, and it's really interesting to watch this genre progress. I've seen people start posting things on Twitter, purporting to have things with ghosts, and thousands of followers flocking to watch it this whole time, only to find out that it's later, that it's a creepypasta. I mean, this is all sorts of fun and has crossed over almost every platform available on the internet, you know, Reddit, 4chan, Twitter, YouTube, Snapchat, all sorts of things to encompass all of internet culture and use it as a medium for storytelling, which I think is super interesting. As we wrap up the episode, some of my favorite online short horror fiction, and I'm not going to call it creepypasta just so we're clear, but, you know, probably lots of people would. My favorites, Boroska, the Search and Rescue Woods series, Pen Pal, a couple of listener-recommended stories that I got from Twitter and from email, the Mother Horse Eyes series, which I really enjoyed reading up on, and White with Red. If you're interested in listening to creepypastas or checking out some creepypasta podcast, there's the No Sleep podcast, and you might try checking out some audio dramas like Tannis or other continuously evolving stories that use this sort of blurring the lines between fiction and reality to bring us scary stories. Well, I know it was brief, but that is the end of another episode. I will be working on doing better, getting my ass in gear, sorry mom, and staying on schedule and, you know, I've got a lot of things that I want to do with this podcast. I'm trying to figure out ways to keep it interesting and sort of cross over platforms and interact more with you guys. I'd like to start getting some videos up on YouTube. I'm not exactly sure what I'd like to do with that. I'm not sure if I'm ready to let you guys watch me play video games. I fear the criticism <laughs> a lot, but um, we'll see maybe some live streams of horror movies. I do plan to uh, live tweet some bad horror movies. I always find that immensely amusing to do. I'm going to work on getting a Facebook page up. I know that that is an easier way for lots of people to interact with podcasts and other people who listen to the same podcasts. It's sort of an easier platform than Twitter to get lots of people connecting with each other. So I am going to work on getting the Undead Airlock Facebook page launched as soon as possible. So yeah, but if you guys have any suggestions of things that you'd like to see in terms of me making myself available to communicate with you or ways to connect with other listeners send me an email, get in touch with me and let me know. Uh, you can, as always, reach me by email at hannahselector, that's H-A-N-N-A-H-S-E-L-E-C-T-O-R at gmail.com or on Twitter at hannahselector and very soon on the Undead Airlock Facebook page. Check out the show on all of our platforms and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Big thank you to everybody who has so far, except for you, Melissa. I do not have the most annoying voice in the universe. I mean, for goodness sake, Gilbert Gottfried is still touring. All of the works that I've mentioned today will be available on my Twitter. 
hopefully this week in the form of our mentioned and recommended recap. I know I owe you some of those. I'm going to sit myself down and get all of those out so that you guys can check out all the great media that we mentioned on the cast. As the end approaches, it is time again for our Monster Masher sign-off, a set of lines from a piece of horror media that let you know how you can defeat the evil and get out alive. Don't forget, if you recognize the lines from this week's sign-off, let me know on Twitter and tell me you figured it out. Or if you have an idea for a Monster Masher sign-off, send it to me and we will make it happen. I want you to come back to Drisking with me. Huh. I'm serious, Sam. Yeah, the answer is no. We'd never leave that place alive. We did once. We're not going back. I have a contact. You know, someone on the inside. The inside of what? Drisking? Baraska? The sheriff's office? They know stuff, okay? And they're willing to help us. That's all we need to know. Until next time, everybody. (laughs) 